Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Creation Podcast, the show where we discuss the science that confirms scripture. I'm your host, Lauren, and I have with me today ICR's Director of Research and Geologist, Dr. Tim Clary. It's so good to have you here, Dr. Clary. It's good to be here, Lauren. So today we're going to talk about geology. And most people assume that Earth's rock layers formed over millions of years. They either assume that or they've been taught that. Um, this is taught to geology students and it's told to the general public. It's, we even see it in movies and pop culture, things like that. So it's really reinforcing the belief. So why is this important to us as creationists that this is being taught where the Bible is saying, okay, the earth is very young, thousands of years old, and yet all around us we're hearing something completely different. So what are some of the difficulties that hit believers and creationists with that kind of thing when that comes up? Well, as you mentioned, so many people are taught you know, in school, even at the public school level, uh, even private schools and that, that the earth is billions of years old and that these rocks take millions of years to be deposited, uh, particularly rocks like clay and limestones and things that uh, you know, are traditionally taught to be slow you know, deposition out of stagnant water. Mm-hmm. And so to build up thick limestone layers or clay layers, you got to have millions and millions of years, or at least tens of thousands of years, to just get a few inches sometimes or a few feet. And so unfortunately, that is so pervasive in society that even Christians have a tough time getting that out of their heads and realizing that the Bible tells us the earth is not that old. Uh, if you look at the genealogies, the Bible tells us that there was a global flood that wasn't that long ago, just 4,500 years ago or so. And so there seems to be this conflict when you take geology classes in school and what you read in your Bible. Right. And so it becomes a little bit difficult for a lot of people to kind of, that's why they think Bible and science are in conflict. In reality, they're not. There's a lot okay. of really exciting things that have been discovered in the last 20 years in geology that really supports uh, a young earth. So today we want to talk about some of those evidences that you already referenced um, mm-hmm. that are showing here right on our planet in plain sight, really, that the Bible can be trusted, mm-hmm. that the earth is not as old as a lot of people tend to claim that it is. So one of those evidences has to do with shale and limestone. Can you just define those for us a little bit before we dive in? Okay, shale is a rock that's made out of mostly clay minerals. And and clay minerals are what a lot of the earth's rocks weather and erode into, they become these clay minerals, little tiny minerals that are about the size of powdered sugar. So if you buy a bag of clay, if you're going to do ceramics, for example, the clay is very, very fine. You need a microscope to really see it. It's it's not dissolved by any means, but it's very, very small minerals. So a lot of the Earth's, particularly the continental crust, the minerals on the continental crust weather into these silicate minerals. These silicate minerals, a lot of them are clays. And so the most common substance on Earth in terms of geology, the most common material is clay. And that clay makes shale when it gets compacted and squeezed together and buried by a lot of other rocks or sediments on top of it. It Mm kind of gets pushed down and squeezed. It dewaters to some extent. extent, And then you can mineralize it a little bit because groundwater is flowing through it and it'll kind of just enough minerals will kind of fuse it all together. Okay. So, so if that's it goes some, shale. Yeah, it goes right it goes some clays to shale that. Okay. The limestone is a little bit different. It's more of a chemical rock. Uh, limestone seems to be it's what makes up a lot of seashells, but it isn't just seashells. A lot of it's this really fine grain, almost like clay again, really not quite microscopic, but very, very small minerals of calcium carbonate. And so it is the same sort of thing that seashells will extract from the water to make their shells, but it, it's, it's a very fine sediment called micrite. It's this really, really 
tiny, you need a microscope to see the minerals again uh, type of thing. And that is supposed to take a long time to be deposited as well. But really, uh, we're seeing some interesting things that show that that's not really true. Okay. So uniformitarian science would say that the Earth's sedimentary rocks, including the shale and limestone that we're talking mm -hmm. about, were laid down very, very slowly over long, long, long periods of time. And what do you think leads to that belief? Why do they think that it took that long? Well, if you, you know, traditionally what they've taught, you can do this yourself. You can take a jar of, of muddy water and shake it up and you can set it down and you can kind of watch it and see it takes maybe overnight for all that clay to settle out. And so there is that process that's happening today that clays in that respect do slowly settle out of stagnant water. So their argument is if you have all this clay that became shale, you know, hundreds of feet of shale in one location or thousands of feet of shale, uh, shale is the most common sedimentary rock on earth and there's, there's, there's a lot of it and so just to get layers that are 500 to maybe a thousand foot thick or more they're arguing that would take millions of years for that to slowly settle out of solution and it has to be a lot of stagnant water or near stagnant water but that's not really the case because they in the last 15 to 20 years there's been a lot of flume experiments done now. flume is where you have sediments in a you know tank and you can kind of get sediments moving Kind of like a miniature. It's like, it's, yeah. it's like, a, it's like a aquarium kind of for geologists to play in. And, <laughs> and so they, they play with a lot of water. And so there's been experiments done that shows you, to make what we see in the rocks. See, the rocks look a little different than just sediment settling in a solution. The rocks have these thin layers called laminations, which are just little, you know, tiny little layers, just a millimeter or so apart, you know, tenths of an inch apart, little bitty layers. When you look at shales all around the world, we see these layers. And to get that look, you can't just let water or clay settle out of solution, you know, out of a, out of a not a solution, but, a, you know, stagnant water. There has to be moving water. So to mimic what we really see in the real world, there has to be moving water. And they found out you have to be, have water moving at least a foot per second to get these little laminations or these little thin layers. Okay, because that was my next question. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if they are seeing clays like mm -hmm. gradually mm -hmm. settle, mm -hmm. that, that would seem to confirm mm -hmm. old earth right. theory, mm -hmm. but instead you're saying that we actually see them um, settle in rapid water mm -hmm. with those layers. So can you tell us a little bit more about how that happens? Well, to get to get the layers again, you got to have it moving, and, and that was that was the key. And people still aren't really accepting this. You still see the textbooks, even though this has been happening like two thousand seven, two thousand eight. There's been you know publications on this. Uh, people really aren't grabbing onto it because it does go against the old Earth ideas that wow, clays really have a deposit by moving water. That seems to fit more with catastrophism. Seems mm -hmm. to fit more with a global flood. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of textbooks. They're just they're not even bringing that up. But yet this couple of scientists, couple of geologists, are, every couple of years, their new paper comes out showing you have to have moving water to make these layers. So to see what we really find in the real world has to be moving water to make these clays. So it fits the flood model that you have moving water. Now, it wasn't moving to be as fast as depositing sandstones. And sandstones are the second most common sedimentary rock. Uh, to get those, you have a little higher energy okay. uh, because you got bigger materials. Mm -hmm. But the clays themselves, it's a shock and surprise to the scientists when they try to mimic these laminated layers. 
you have to have moving water. Interesting. So it couldn't have just been long ages mm -hmm. of water sitting there. Do evolutionists mm -hmm. try to claim that, not just evolutionists, mm -hmm. but uniformitarians, mm -hmm. do they try to claim that um, the water was moving over long periods of time? Or what's their claim with that? How do they answer that? Well, they still stick with the old idea for the most part from what I've seen. Like I said, they, don't, they haven't changed the textbooks. And so what's being taught to students coming out of the geology departments and coming out of school, right. uh, they're still being taught the old story of stagnant water you know, building up slowly a millimeter at a time or, you know, a tenth of an inch at a mm -hmm. time, building, 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 building over over great periods of time. So that's still what's being taught and what's being stuck in our heads. And so when people see layers of rocks, they think, oh, that took thousands of years or sometimes millions of years to be deposited. But that's, that's not the case. To get what we see, these laminated layers, every clay layer that's deposited that we see in the rock record that becomes shale is laminated, it's really thin layers. And if you look at pictures of shales, you'll see lots of thin layers. To get that, you have to have moving water, mm -hmm. which is, you know, to us is a, is a big supporter for the, the global flood. Well, and do you see, do you see these thin layers, mm -hmm. these laminated layers, do you see them in just one spot or do you see them a lot of different spots? Mm -hmm. Where are we seeing these? What are some real world examples? Well, you can see them all over the world, wherever you see wow. shales exposed, you know, up and down the Appalachians, for example, there's okay. lots of shale, the Rocky Mountains, there's lots of shales. Although the shales, weather a little, they weather a little more easily, so they're off in their valleys. And so sometimes they're harder to find, you know, you'll see the sandstones sticking out or cropping mm -hmm. out, we call them, or limestone layers, which are more resistant to erosion. Uh, the clay minerals, even though they form shale rock, they're still not very durable, and so they, they're harder to see. But there's a lot of places you can see shales. There's lots of pictures of shales. And when you just see shales, you'll see them, they're in layers, really fine layers. And so that the moving water model seems to fit and explains what we see in the real world better than the idea of thousands of years of stagnant water slowly settling out of the salute, basically out of these stagnant water bodies. It doesn't seem to fit. So why do you think this is still being taught and proclaimed so widely, even though it sounds like there are a lot of studies that are coming mm -hmm. through saying, hey, we need to reconsider this, we need to reconsider mm -hmm. this. Why do you think that's still being taught and publicly mm -hmm. proclaimed as fact mm -hmm. that it took so long? Because even here in our mm -hmm. Discovery Center, I've interacted with guests um, mm -hmm. here in Dallas at our museum, and they're often surprised. We have a Grand Canyon exhibit, mm -hmm. and obviously that's not shale and limestone, I don't believe. Well, no, it is. It is? Okay, okay. There's some of it's shale, and a lot, okay, of, a lot okay. of it's limestone, but there's, there's a lot of shale lots in there layers. as well. Lots of layers. And shale. a lot of times guests are surprised because mm -hmm. even a lot of creationists, they've just been told this mm -hmm. over and over and mm -hmm. over again, that things like the Grand Canyon mm -hmm. with all those rock layers formed over a very long period of time. So why do you think that that's still being so commonly spread everywhere, even though there's so much evidence to the contrary? Well, well part of it's, you know, not everybody is reading the literature. They're not reading what's being found. You know, if you don't, there's so many publications out there now, so many journals, it, it's hard to keep up, and it really is. Uh, but there are things like this that are come, have been around for at least 15 years now. So people should have heard about this. The oil and mm -hmm. gas industry uh, is actually published some uh, articles on it. You can see in their journals, and it's going out into their monthly newsletters of some of the oil and gas societies where they talk about this guy's experiments and his flume work showing that these clays are deposited by moving water. And so they're starting to get it, but it still isn't being taught in academia too much. Most of the textbooks are still the same old, same old, same old. And they always say textbooks take 20 years to be updated and changed anyway. Which is a little scary. Yeah. <laughs> so people are being taught information on all subjects that's 20 years old. Right, especially yeah. the, the introductory classes, the first, you know, freshman level type classes. Mm -hmm. Most of those textbooks are written by, 
you know, the same guys and gals that have been writing these for years. Right. And as they write them, they just update them a little bit, and they don't always update everything themselves. You know, they can't keep track of everything. So I do get some of it. But a lot of it's just, you know, it could also be that they don't want to change things. They like, they like the story. You know, this fits their story better. And so they're not going to emphasize things that don't support their story. Mm-hmm. If you have to have all your clay deposited by moving water, that kind of changes the, the picture of things into, mm-hmm. okay, maybe there was some substance to these you know, claims by these creationists that there was a global flood. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if a lot of people want to entertain that thought. Right. They want to push God out of the picture. They want to try to explain everything in the, in the world themselves uh, without God having to step in and say what he said he did. You know, it wasn't. They denied there was a global flood. And so most of the uniformitarianists or evolutionists, evolutionary geologists don't accept the global flood at all. They just mm-hmm. think maybe there, if there was a flood, it was a little local flood. Right. And so they, they to, to say that all these clays that were deposited around the world into these laminated layers, which is what we see in shales uh, by moving water, that more supports a global flood than it does their ideas of this long, deep time, slowly settling out of, of Water these just a little millimeter or so at a time. Right ideas. It's 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 difficult to understand, but part of it's understandable because they don't always keep up on every subject, and uh, there's only a small group of people that are doing these studies, which which to me is kind of amazing, because these are empirical studies. These are you know what science should be doing. We should be looking at trying to mimic what we see in the rocks by the laboratory, and that's mm-hmm. what these people are doing, and they're showing that shales are deposited by moving water. So for those people, because we've talked about the people that mm-hmm. might just not be aware because it's just right. not being taught. It's not being announced mm-hmm. very broadly. For the people that do mm-hmm. see these studies, the people that are doing these studies, the people that do read the literature that are in this field, mm-hmm. clearly they can't just ignore mm-hmm. the fact, or they shouldn't just ignore the fact that this evidence mm-hmm. is right there in front of them, that moving water, um, re- that these layers require moving water. So for right. the ones that do get it, for the ones that do see that, mm-hmm. what is their explanation for it? The ones that see that evidence and yet they still believe that the earth is old, billions mm-hmm. of years old, what are they saying is the explanation? Well, they don't really go that far. In their okay. papers, they don't really go down that path. You know, that's that's kind of the logical conclusion to what they should be saying, what they should be seeing. But they just talk about how these layers, to mimic these, we have to have, you know, water moving at least a foot per second or so uh, to get these fine laminations. And they just kind of leave it at that. They don't talk about the implications of it at all. But as creationists, you know, we see that as great support for our side of the, of the argument that God's word is true because there really was a global flood and these clays can be explained in the global flood better than just slowly waiting for around for millions of years mm-hmm. for a thick clay layers or shale rocks to be deposited. So let's go a little bit more in depth into mm-hmm. that. So the global flood, mm-hmm. um, I think most of our listeners will be familiar with Genesis, mm-hmm. um, but can you kind of describe both using the biblical mm-hmm. account and what you see in the geology with this um, shale and limestone mm-hmm. specifically? Mm-hmm. Can you describe a little bit more specifically what happened? How did those layers get laid down? Mm-hmm. What did that look like here on the planet when the flood okay. was happening? Well, the, the research we're doing here at ICR, since I've been here 10 years, and you know, there's a couple of us that are working on what we call the Column Project, and we've been compiling data in rock columns all over the world. And we finished five continents to this point. Wow. We're working on Australia right now. Uh, and that'll be the sixth major continent. Antarctica is going to be one of those things where we can't do a whole lot. 
necessarily on, but we'll do what we can. Not a lot of people make it over there. But after looking at five continents, what, we, what we've seen is it's, it's a progressive flood. The flood began early, started burying marine animals, probably in shallow seas, maybe bringing in some of the deeper ocean waters, burying those on the edges of the continents first. And that's very minimal amount of flooding compared to what we see later. Mm. And then as the water progressed higher, uh, which mechanism for that or another subject altogether, uh, you see different animals and different animals. Eventually you get to the land animals and you start mixing those with the land and the marine. So you, you see more and more coverage as you go. Mm-hmm. So what we're really seeing is a progressive flood. They went from you know, day one to day 150 before it reached its peak. And that's where we see the maximum surface coverage of the earth today. The rocks are still there that show more coverage of any other episode of the flood is, is those types of rocks. Uh, we believe around the Cretaceous level, what they call the Cretaceous level, uh, where the dinosaurs are wiped out. Right after that seems to be about the high point of the flood. Uh, in our, but it's a progressive flood. And then, of course, then the floodwaters went down. Uh, for another over half a year till mm-hmm. day 371 before they stepped off the ark. So right. one of the things that's important to know is the flood wasn't just 40 days. You know, people, yes. people kind of get that idea that, that allows them to easily make it a local flood, but it, mm-hmm. was, it was over the a year. The water was yeah. coming down and out for 40 and, days. And there was a lot of waters moving you know, fast right. at times, and there was other times it was moving slow, it was kind of going back and forth like tsunami waves do. They come in and they go out, right. come in and they go out. And so there's these... Uh, you know, episodes where the water really advanced across the continents. But again, it took a while. It progressed okay. a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more each time. But there were moments when the water was a little slower, and that's when you were probably depositing your clays. Higher energy stuff was probably more your sandstones. And then what's interesting is is the same guys that are working on the shales are also working on limestone. We talked a little about that mick, right, that really fine limestone. And working on it as far as? They're doing flume experiments with okay. the limestone, mm-hmm. taking the limestone mud, and they're trying to see how they can mimic the layers we see in limestones as right. well. Limestones have similar laminations okay. a lot of times to the shales. And to get those laminations, they have to do the same thing. Mm. They have to have moving water, moving, I think they said around 10 to 12 inches, almost a foot again per second, similar okay. to clays. Ooh. So a similar size material, really fine, fine material, like shales and limestone, uh, before it becomes rock, you know, the limey material actually has to be deposited by moving water as well. And again, both of these things are really groundbreaking in terms of, you know, it's, it's breaking these paradigms that they've had for well over a century of, mm-hmm. you know, limestone and clay has to be deposited slow. And that's not the case. It has to be deposited by moving water. Right. No, that is, that's amazing. And it still blows mm-hmm. my mind mm-hmm. that this isn't being taught mm-hmm. broadly because mm-hmm. in my mind that would be mm-hmm. kind of an earth-shattering mm-hmm. realization if you believe mm-hmm. in old earth right. because all of a sudden it's like, oh my goodness, mm-hmm. everything we thought mm-hmm. about the timing of all these rock mm-hmm. layers and I'm assuming that that affects their mm-hmm. timing of the fossils and things like that. Mm-hmm. It just sounds like it would be really big news. It blows my mind that it's not being taught. Well, it gets even better in some regards. Uh, a few years ago, they actually did a study where they were injecting CO2 because people are trying to re-inject CO2. They think CO2 is a big issue for global warming and all this right. kind of stuff. Regardless of your feelings on that, people are re-injecting CO2, and they're injecting CO2 into these underground chambers, into rocks. And they're finding that they pulled samples of these rocks out 400 days or less than 400 days afterwards and they already had limestone formed wow. in the holes in the little you know the, the kind of the pore spaces yeah. between the rocks so they were forming in the real world by jump pumping co2 down they were forming actual limestone within about 400 days so limestone doesn't take long to form either mm-hmm. not only does it deposit you know it can be deposited more quickly than thought Mm-hmm. But it, these rocks themselves, the rock material can actually form faster than what's okay. thought. So that kind of blew some of the 
Unifermitarian scientists' minds mm-hmm. a little bit. It's like, wow, this is happening in 400 days. We can make limestone in less than a year. Uh, you know, usually they're taught these take millions of years to right. become rock. You know, even though they're deposited, then then they have to somehow settle out over tens of thousands or millions of years of time. So uh, there's more and more and more that's coming to the forefront in science when you do empirical research, even if it's accidental, like in that case, it was mm-hmm. almost an accidental thing. It's still repeatable it, though. It's showing, yeah, yeah. It's, it's showing that rocks. And, and particularly limestone and, and shale form very quickly and are deposited quickly. Wow. Well, thank you for walking through mm-hmm. all of that. We are going mm-hmm. to take a step back from our discussion. Okay. We'll hop in in just a second. But just as kind of a break for us mm-hmm. and for our listeners, we're going to have our random science question <laughs> of the day. So you can just have fun with this. Um, you have studied, oh my goodness, I don't even know. How many types of rocks do you think that you've studied? And well, that's not the question. That's like I don't, a, that's I don't, like a I don't remember question. all the ones I've. If a you count lot, minerals, if you lot. count minerals, you know, at one point I knew had to learn about 120 Ooh. different minerals, and then under the microscope you learn a whole bunch more. They look a little different. There's even more you learn under the microscope okay. than a hand okay. specimen. And then in terms of rocks, you know, we deal with 20, 30 kinds of sedimentary rocks, but there's more than that. Okay. And igneous rocks, you know, it all depends on you plot things up by certain components. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's generally there's probably you know dozens of rocks of, of all kinds. Of okay. Rocks. So this is growing and growing. Mm-hmm. So what is your favorite rock? We'll grow it to minerals too. What is your favorite rock or mineral mm-hmm. and why? Well, my wife would have me say diamonds and sapphires <laughs> because diamonds those are, a girl's those best are her friend. favorites. She likes the yeah. sapphires too. Though okay. sapphires are you know they're same as uh, rubies, are the, they're the same mineral. They're really just the, the nines and tens on the hardest scale. Okay. And so wow. sapphires and rubies are just different colors, but they're really the same sort of huh. thing. Uh, Learn something but, new every day. But uh, you know, those are the things that will you know only a diamond will scratch, and that's how they, they measure the, the hardness of those. But those are the minerals. Those are my, my wife's favorites. I I kind of like, I guess, some of these copper ores that they have in my home state of oh. Michigan mm-hmm. where you have the pure copper in there. It's very unusual because most copper is – Weathered into like the malachite, the kind of green color you see, yeah, or mm-hmm. azurite, kind of a bright blue. Mm-hmm. But to have pure copper like that that's been injected in, uh, and I believe during the flood year, these coppers were injected into these lavas mm-hmm. that poured out early in the flood year okay. in the upper peninsula of Michigan and across the Lake Superior area. To me, that's one of my favorite things to find is is the copper ores with the pure, you know, shiny copper, just like a penny. Wow. Oh, my goodness. So it looks just like a penny, mm-hmm. just in its natural. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Okay. That's fun. It is pretty Thank cool. you for telling us. And now we can kind of hop back into the topic at hand, but that's kind of a fun little, oh, just that's... getting to learn something more about you and um, your opinions and stuff like that. So now we're going to dive back in to erosion. Mm-hmm. So rocks today erode at a fairly steady rate, if I'm understanding mm-hmm. it correctly. Um, to us, that seems really, really slow. And it mm-hmm. On the surface, it would make sense to view it from a uniformitarian point of view as far as it just always has eroded that slowly over all of the ages. Is that true, and what are the implications of that? Well, a lot of it depends on the conditions. Okay. You know, if there's more rain you know, and freezing and thaw cycles and things, you may get things to go faster. So it's, it's hard to generalize, but there is a general number out there that people have thrown out as about 40 feet, I believe it is, per million years. I believe that's correct. Uh, which is a lot when you look at, you know, if these rocks are supposed to be hundreds of millions of years old, you know, a lot of the earth should be winnowed down and eroded away. And are we talking and erosion by wind or water or? Uh, both, okay. actually a little bit of both. Mostly okay. water, I think, probably does most of it. Again, mm-hmm. more rain would probably do it. But what's interesting is you go to 
to the Grand Canyon, for example, and you look at the rocks there and there's pictures that have been taken 100 years ago and pictures looked at today and it looks almost the same. And so the idea that Grand Canyon was formed you know, supposedly, according to uniformitarian dates, about six million years ago, mm-hmm. in the last six million years, you know, by that river slowly weathering it away, we really aren't seeing much erosion taking place there. And because that area today is very dry and arid, that's one of the reasons why it's, it's even slower than 40 probably feet per million years. Because they got six million years and you have to carve down, you know, about a mile. And so it's, something's not right there. Right. Either something Numbers happened faster. Up there than they're anticipating, even from what their, their general rate that they kind of estimate is. So there's some interesting things. A lot of it does depend on local conditions. Okay. But, but even taking that in consideration, you look at the East Coast of the United States, and the Appalachian Mountains. The Appalachian Mountains are supposed to be well over 250 million years old, I think even more like 300-some million years old. And if you have 40 feet per year, and today a lot of the area is only 600 to 1,000 feet above sea level, there shouldn't be any East Coast. It should be right down to sea level. Hmm. All that shouldn't be rolling away. There hasn't been any uplift since the Appalachians happened. And so unless these mountains were, I had to do the math in my head, and it's hard to do when you're, <laughs> when you're, when you're on camera. But if you did all the math, these, these mountains have to be you know twice as high as Mount Everest to still be there today, what they even are today, huh. if they really is 40 feet per year. And the higher right. these rocks are lifted up, generally the more, the more erosion there is. Okay. Because you have more lightning and things that is a big factor as well, we're finding out. Uh, so more rain and snow. And so rocks at higher elevation going to be more surface area exposed. They're going to erode a little faster. And so the bottom line is there shouldn't be any Appalachian Mountains. They should be right, planed right down to sea level. Right. Pretty much the whole East Coast. So if my understanding is correct, um, I think one uniformitarian mm-hmm. attempt to explain that problem is episodic uplift. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of what you're talking yes, about? Yes, that's what I was talking not, about. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. And that solution you're saying does not work. Well, it doesn't in this case okay. because the Appalachians haven't had any uplift or we call them orogenies, orogenic events. Mm-hmm. There hasn't been any plate collisions since, you know, 300 million years ago or so. And so if you got, in their worldview, 300 million years of erosion, you got 40 feet per year, you know, 40 times three, you know, 300 times 40, I don't know how many twelve hundred zeros are beyond. <laughs> I'm not good at mental but you're math at, But you're looking at eroding away the entire mountain range. There hasn't been any episodic uplift since. Okay. Then. You may argue maybe a thousand feet of uplift or something. There might have been something later, but there's no known, you know, geologic event to push those mountains up and keep them as high as they are today. Okay. And the same thing is true. Now the Rockies. They're supposed to have been uplifted maybe in the last sixty to you know thirty million years. So they're theoretically, they're younger. They were later in the flood years. Well, we would interpret them during the receding phase mostly. Whereas the Appalachians formed about midway through the advancing or the rising portion of the flood. And so they are a little more subdued for that reason. That's what we believe as creationists. Okay. But the, even the Rockies, you know, there may still be some theoretical uplift going on there. But to me, the Appalachians are, are the key here. Okay. There's been no uplift, no mm-hmm. episodic uplift that's been really documented at all. Uh, maybe just a little bit, maybe late in the maybe the Miocene or something. But really, okay. there's almost no reason for those mountains to be there. Okay, and you can you can take it all the way to Hawaii. You can look at the islands of Hawaii, and they're eroding away at a certain rate. And uh, there should, be, if you look at, they're supposed to be five million years old, I think, for Kauai, and some of the islands are supposed to be two or three million years old, and they shouldn't even be there. Right, yeah, they should have eroded away completely because there hasn't been any er- hasn't been any volcanic activity on Kauai 
in you know theoretically in five million years, and Oahu in about two point six million years or so. So while those islands still there, mm-hmm. they should have all eroded away to there's just maybe just a little remnant in the middle, and they should be all planed off. It's almost like they're a lot younger. They should be like in a toll, right? That's right. exactly it. So that argues that these really haven't been around that long, or you'd have a lot. The island would be missing. Okay. And there's no episodic uplift there. If anything, they're sinking. You know, as they cool off the the heat source, they're sinking a little bit, but they're still exposed. And if there's no uplift, why are they still there? If there's no volcanic activity, why are they still there? So we've talked about mountains. We've mm-hmm. talked about islands. Mm-hmm. I'm curious about a canyon, a canyon mm-hmm. specifically okay. the Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm. So what did erosion have to do with the Grand Canyon, and what did that look like? We, we already are familiar with mm-hmm. basically what that looks like from an evolutionary mm-hmm. uniformitarian mm-hmm. perspective where it slowly eroded mm-hmm. over millions mm-hmm. of years. Is that is that correct? Yes. And then what would we say mm-hmm. as creationists that erosion mm-hmm. had to do with the Grand Canyon? Well, even before we get to the forming of the canyon itself, which I believe is part of the receding phase, if you look at the rock layers in Grand Canyon, you look at uh, the Muav limestone, for example, which is, you're looking at me like, what's the Muav limestone? <laughs> it's part of the earliest rocks down there. You got <laughs> okay, the, the, okay. It's, it's part of the Cambrian's you know sequence of the. You've got the the Tapit sandstone, which we believe is probably some of the earliest flood sediments coming mm-hmm. in, bringing in fossils. Part of the Cambrian explosion, you might have heard about. Well, uh, I've that, seen your pictures. I think. Yeah, from the and, and then you work yeah. your way up to the next one, the Bright Angel, and then mm-hmm. you get the Muav, and those are all supposed to be Cambrian, which are you know around 500 million years old according mm-hmm. to the evolutionary time scale. Right. Right. Well, right above that, not everywhere, but in many places, you have the red wall limestone, which is this 800-foot-thick limestone, which, again, we talked about in an earlier episode. These can be deposited quicker by moving water. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But that was laying right on top of that Muav limestone, and that's supposed to be about 160 million years younger. And yet, everywhere you look, as you raft down the canyon or you get to the rim and you look across, everywhere you see the red wall, which is pretty the thickest you know, red layer in the middle of Grand Canyon, everywhere you look below that, it's flat. The rock layers below are flat, and then so they meet almost like, you know, two bricks. If there's 160 million years of time... That ain't going to happen. <laughs> why aren't there some gullies yeah. and canyons and small little gullies? There right. should be every rock layer, and we see that throughout Grand Canyon. There's a million years missing here. There's a million years missing here. Everywhere you look, it looks just like bricks that are laid down one on top of the other. Just what you'd expect in a global flood, rapid deposition, mm-hmm. layer upon layer upon layer. Different rock types, but there's no evidence of erosion, so to speak. Sure, waves came in and waves went back, but you don't see rocks being tilted. Right. You know, there's, here we're looking at 160 million years of time with no tilting at all. You know, they're almost perfectly flat. You can't even tell there's supposed to be time missing there. Paper thin. Well, you can't yeah. see it, yeah, it, it, unless you, you know, they, they only do that by dating the fossils and saying, oh, these are Cambrian. The rocks above, oh, these are Mississippian, so there must be 160 million years right. of time missing. But when you look at it, physically, there's no evidence whatsoever, and, and it's that way across the whole country. You can take the same limestones, they go all the way to the east coast. You can take the same sandstones, they go all the way to the east coast. And so these oil wells that I'm looking at actually show that it's not just flat layers in Grand Canyon where you're supposed to have a lot of time missing. There's flat layers everywhere, and every continent does the same thing. There's very few places where you have had mountainous uplifts that actually fold the rocks up, where you can see angular differences. Most places, it's flat upon flat upon flat. No evidence of any canyons. When you take geology class, they don't tell you about this. They say, oh, isn't that cool? You can touch rocks here that are 160 million years apart. They never say that, why is it perfectly flat? Mm -hmm. Why is it almost planar everywhere you look, where there's really no evidence of any erosion at all? Okay. 
Well, this has been super helpful just going through mm-hmm. some of the geological evidences um, for a young earth, but let's kind of tie it all together. Why is this important? Why does it matter for believers to know that the evidence, the geological evidence really does back up the Bible? Why does that matter? Well, before you get there, I want to get one more thing in, Miss <laughs> okay, Lauren. Okay, yeah. I want to you, talk about the got? Grand Canyon itself. Okay. Now, the canyon itself, now those are the rock layers, but the, the canyon itself, I believe, is caused by the receding phase of the flood. And you have about, for reasons, again, we'll leave the plate titanics out of this, uh, there's uplift of that area, the four corners area that happened. It rose about 5,000 feet. And so during the receding phase, that was going on. Your the land was rising 5,000 feet. The water was draining off the continent. And the rocks come up and they kind of crack. Wet sediment's going to crack. So if you packed on your sand on your legs at the beach, they're wet. And you move, it's going to crack. Mm-hmm. And, and what water does is it follows the easiest path. It'll find a crack and just kind of winnow that right out and just right. rips open a big canyon. So I believe the receding phase gives us the most amount of water and the really the energy needed to carve a canyon as deep as Grand Canyon. But it had to be 5,000 feet of uplift going on at the same time the water was draining off. Yeah. And so you have a crack that end up being about 5,000 foot deep. So Grand Canyon is fairly unique here in the United States. There's other mm-hmm. canyons around the world that are similar right. in size, uh, and they all form at about the same time when the ground and the water from the flood was actually receding. And so it didn't take 6 million years for that canyon to form. We see almost no erosion going on in the last 100 years from those pictures we talked about mm-hmm. earlier. But so to get a canyon, you need some sort of catastrophic event. And I believe the receding phase gives us the best, most amount of water yeah, the best explanation for all these canyons, not just there, but all over the world, that form all at about the same time. Mm-hmm. No, that makes total sense. Okay, now, back to, back <laughs> to your question. No, but that makes total mm-hmm. sense. That mm-hmm. um, It's just so encouraging that at every step, mm-hmm. the evidence mm-hmm. is on our side. The evidence is with us. Yeah, we, it, we're not surprised by things. It all shows evidence of a global flood. Now, yes. the layers being deposited rapidly, but even the erosion afterwards carving these canyons, we see, uh, including Grand Canyon, Paladero Canyon here in Texas as mm-hmm. well. Paladero is not as deep. It's the second biggest canyon in the United States, but it's not as deep because it didn't experience that 5,000 feet of uplift at the okay. same time. So okay. it's about 700 foot deep, but it's a, it's a massive canyon. Okay. So how would you encourage believers with this information? What do you think they mm-hmm. should do with it, whether it's for themselves or for people mm-hmm. around them? How would you encourage believers with this? Well, I, I think it's encouraging to believers because it shows that the Bible is true, that there really was a global flood. The evidence really does stack against uniformitarian thought. The idea of, of slow deposition, slow erosion. You know, when, you, when you actually take these things to their extreme and you look at empirical data and what we're seeing in the, in the flume experiments, we're seeing over and over and over that the flood is the best explanation. A massive amount of water that flooded the entire earth uh, during that year of the flood described in the Bible seems to explain the rock layers we see that extend from one end of the country to the other. They go on all the other continents. Every continent of the world is showing the same sort of patterns mm-hmm. because it was a global flood. We see the same order to the fossils because it was a global flood. And so to me, you know, people talk about this geological column. That's, you know, it kind of comes and goes in different places. Some places you have certain rock layers, some places others. But the reason that's somewhat consistent is because it was a global flood. So I think we can be encouraged to know that rock layers don't take a long time to be deposited. Moving water is the best explanation for even the finest materials like clays and and limestones. And so the flood uh, still gives us the best explanation for the layers being deposited, layer upon layer upon layer, without erosion in between. And then finally, the erosion of the canyons at the top. Once the flood was over and the water was draining off, gives us the reason why we see those canyons there 
and not canyons throughout the rock record. Where you'd expect if these were really deposits over millions mm-hmm. of years, what you'd see. Mm-hmm. And why we still have the beautiful Appalachian Mountains. They didn't erode away. Why we still have the beautiful Hawaiian Islands. Why they didn't erode away. All is better explained because the earth is young. The mm-hmm. flood was recent. And you know, God's word is true. Well, that's what's so encouraging is just to see in every area, whether it's geology or other areas of science, whether it's life and humanity, Mm -hmm. whether it's anything that we take a look at in this universe, we can see that the Bible best explains reality. And it's just what lines up. Mm -hmm. And obviously we can trust the Bible because it's the word of God and it stands on its own two feet, but it is also always Mm -hmm. going to be consistent with the evidence. We're not gonna get Mm -hmm. surprises that suddenly throw off our entire theory Mm -hmm. of everything. So this has been super Mm -hmm. encouraging. Thank you so much for being with us today. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us as well. Uh, Be sure to like, subscribe. Of course, we always encourage you to subscribe to be the first to find out about new content that ICR releases. And we will see you next time on the Creation Podcast.